chapter 2. I hope you brought your Bible to Sunday school and uh, always bring your Bible to this church. <laughs> Friends, we won't be preaching the Bible here. It is the Word of God that is so desperately needed in my life and, well, in your life too, in the lives of all uh, the people of the world. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, I did find a few more CDs in my suitcase and brought them. And uh, they had been leaving, living in my suitcase, so uh, <laughs> stopped by and picked some up. I've only got, I think, one or two of this one left, the Bible Stories for Kids, Volume 4. That's the newest one for children. And then Safely Home, I think I've got five copies of it left. It's two CDs in there. They're just any size donation. You can get them right after Sunday school um, or right after the morning service if you wish. All right, are you ready? Good, some of you all ready. That's good. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation. I encourage you to underline those five words. I know as I read through this book, I marked some things, and I marked that, hath given us everlasting consolation. Hallelujah. Have given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work hath given us everlasting consolation. I titled this morning's Sunday School lesson, Everlasting Consolation. Consolation. Ah, how about that? Consolation. I was at a church, Pastor, and um, I was standing there in the hallway with the pastor of that church, and a little boy, six years old, came out of the men's restroom, and he came out, and I was standing right beside the little boy's granddad, standing right beside little boy's granddad, and Joshua was the little boy's name, and Joshua was six years old, came out, and he was crying. And his granddad, who was standing beside me, said, oh, son, what's wrong? What's wrong? And the little six-year-old said this. He said, I've just had the worst day of my whole life. Now, he's six years old. And his granddad said, well, now, son, what, what, what happened? He said, I got up today and I fell down. And he went on with little tiny malady after little issue all day long. And he said, and just now I pinched my thumb in the bathroom. And oh, his granddad said, oh, son, let me see that thumb. Let me look at that, son. Oh, yeah, looks like that thumb is going to be okay. What was granddad doing? He was consoling that little boy. Yeah, you know, sometimes we, uh, we bring our issues to the Lord and it's about like that little boy's uh, uh, little issues. They're not really as, as big as we sometimes think they are. Compared to God, they're not that big for sure. One time, we were over in Minnesota, my wife and I, 
or Wisconsin when I may have been Wisconsin. And we had our little dog with us. Yeah, little dog. Four pounds. It's not really a dog, is it? Four pounds. You know, tiny little thing. Her name was Roxy. Roxy Foxy. Yeah, old Roxy. And um, we had to stop at a, at a gas station, get some gas. And oh, there's all that snow. It's Minnesota, you know. And <laughs> so uh, we got out of the, the car, and Roxy jumped down. And as soon as she jumped down, she began to just howl. Oh, no, I thought, what has happened to that little dog? I mean, she was just howling. I thought somebody stepped on her foot and broken her foot or something because I could tell there's something wrong with her foot. And Renee got to her first, my wife, and she'd gotten a piece of ice in between her toes there. And I mean, it had just uh, tore that little dog up. <laughs> and Renee pulled that ice out and she went, ah! and the ice was out and it was gone. <laughs> and Renee consoled little Roxy. Well, we have everlasting consolation if you're a child of God. This is written to that little flock of believers over there in Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica, this church in Thessalonica, oh, it was a good church. It was a good church. The church of Thessalonica was a good church. Uh, was it a perfect church? Uh, no. Well, why wasn't it a perfect church? Because it had people in it. Yeah. Just like today here at Galilee Baptist, this is a good church. Is it a perfect church? Well, no. <laughs> we're here. <laughs> and we're pretty sinful and pretty um, blemished. Lots of warts and all that kind of thing. There's no, there's no blemishes with the Lord, however. Amen to that. We serve a perfect Savior. And the church at Thessalonica was not, it wasn't a perfect church. It was a model church in many ways. They aspired to please the Lord. And they'd received the second book of Thessalonians. They'd gotten the first book of Thessalonians. Uh, first book of Thessalonians. What was that book like? Well, first Thessalonians basically had 22 military-like commands in it. See, God doesn't give suggestions. God gives commands. <laughs> like this command from God. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. See, that has to do with your circumstances. So what the, whether the bank account is full or if the bank account is empty, you keep giving thanks to God. Whether the health is good or whether the health is poor, you keep giving thanks to God. Uh, whether everything in life is smooth or whether it's choppy, you just keep giving thanks to God. You thank God on top of the mountains, you thank God in the valley. We all have valleys, and praise God, there's some mountains along the way. But I'd rather be in the storm with Jesus than to be in the sunshine without him. And so God gave this command to that, that group of believers there at that church. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He gave this command, rejoice evermore. Yeah, God's people are supposed to be a rejoicing people. Yeah, Rejoy. You hear the word joy in there? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Yeah. Uh, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And when the church is filled with the Holy Spirit, oh, there will be joy. In fact, when your heart is full of Christ, you're going to want to sing and you want to glorify and you'll rejoice. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, why are those people over there at Galilee Baptist Church, they're just, they're just happy all the time, seems like, just a, this, this joyful and exuberant and positive. Why is that? Because we do serve a risen Savior. Amen. And our hope is found in Jesus, friends. 
And so the Lord gave that command, rejoice evermore. And God's given us plenty to rejoice about. <laughs> our name's written down in glory. That's enough to shout hallelujah the rest of our lives. So in everything, give thanks. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. That church in Thessalonica was told, pray without ceasing. Well, Brother Fox, I can't pray without ceasing. Why not? Why not? Uh, well, Brother Fox, if I prayed without ceasing, I'd have to be a Christian. Well, hallelujah, prayer is for the Christian. Uh, lost folk are not on praying grounds. It's Christians who are on praying grounds. And um, look, we're supposed to always be praying. It's always too soon to quit praying. You know what I'm saying? Just stay with it, stay with it, stay with it. Pray in season and out of season. Just pray, pray, pray. That um, constant prayer, knocking on heaven's door. And uh, hallelujah. So this church at Thessalonica, oh, they've been given a lot of commands from the Lord. It was a good church. It was a really good church. And then we come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, this church received this next letter from the Lord. And uh, wow, chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. Oh, my. In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. What are we talking about? In flaming fire, verse 8, taking vengeance on them that know not God. What are we talking about? God's retributive justice. A man reaps what he sows. I read in the Bible of many that left God out of their lives. I was just reading about King Zedekiah. He was a young man. He endangered his sons by his behavior. He had two sons. Oh, he's about 10 and 12 years old. And Zedekiah left God completely out of his life. The country became sieged two years long. Finally, it's all collapsing. He's trying to flee. The enemies capture him. They end up blinding him. They kill his two sons. The last, last thing he saw was his two sons being executed. What would that be like to see your kids executed? Why did all this happen? Zedekiah left God out of his life. That's the problem. It's awful to leave God out of your life. It has eternal consequences. Is there a hell? There's one preacher. He tried to be known in America as a positive preacher. He was just going to be a positive preacher. He's just going to preach positive messages always. In fact, the last 40 years of his so-called ministry, he never mentioned hell. I'll just tell you, that's a terrible preacher. Jesus talked 13 times more about hell than he did about heaven. If Jesus is going to teach and preach about hell, I believe God's preachers need to preach about hell and warn people about hell. I was in England. Oh, we traveled hard. My daughter was on that missions trip and two of my preacher boys, and we went on this missions trip. Oh, yeah, we got there finally to England. Man, it was a long, arduous trip. Finally got to Birmingham, England. 
and we've been up about 27 hours, and uh, my uh, daughter, my daughter sang, and some of them testified, and I played a little piano a little for them, and, and preached to them a little. Yeah, Birmingham. You don't say Birmingham. They'll correct you, you know. It's Birmingham, Birmingham, and you kind of say it all together, Birmingham, making it about one syllable, Birmingham. <laughs> and um, so I, I gave them a little message, and um, they all go back for tea and cookies. In England, they like to do that after, after church. They go back and have tea and cookies. Well, everybody's going back there for tea and cookies. And um, the pastor's wife came to him and said, Brother Fox, somebody would like to speak with you. I said, okay. And I said, um, uh, who is it? I said, this lady's sitting right here in the middle of the auditorium. And the pastor's wife took me back. And I said to the lady seated in the pew, I said, uh, excuse me, I, I understand you would like to speak with me. Her hands were folded like this, and she said, I am quite disgusted with you. Whoa! I've been up 27 hours. I've done the best I know how. I'm wore out. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I said, did I break some rule of protocol that I'm not aware of? Because that's what I first thought. I, you know, they've got, they've got lots of little manners and so forth there, and I thought I'd accidentally, you know, broken a rule of etiquette that I was unaware of. I said, have I broken a rule of etiquette that I'm not aware of? She said, no, you talked about hell, and I don't believe it. I sat down in front of her, and the pastor's wife came in. I said, Pam, her name was Pam. I said, Pam, the Bible speaks a lot about hell. I may have shown her this passage. I can't remember. I went through the Bible. I began showing her everything I could think of. I showed her how... Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what the Bible says. And I showed her that God is not willing that any should perish, but come to repentance. I, I showed her all that. Finally, I said, Pam, I can't think of anything else. I'd spoken to her about 20 minutes. I said, let me pray. I said, oh, Lord, I'm here with Pam, and uh, she's disturbed about hell. And Lord, I don't want her to go to hell. And she said, Pam said, Oh, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I said, excuse me, Lord. Pam, are you wanting to get saved? She said, yes, I want to get saved. Oh, and I happily saw her receive Christ as her Savior. Hallelujah. I'm glad about that. I'm glad that I had the temerity to talk about hell to her and warn her about hell. There is a hell. We were having that God Bless America rally there in Beckley, West Virginia, and all those interviews last September. TV and radio keep coming out, interviews, and they, they like little clips that they can put on their, their program. And Mr. Fox, what is this all about? So, well, we're trying to keep people from going to hell from Beckley. That is what we're trying to do from right here in Montana. Trying to stop people from going to hell and tell them that there is a a, a God in heaven who sent his only begotten son to die on a cross that everybody could be saved. And this little flock of believers there in Thessalonica, they were warned by God about God's retributive justice. Anyone who dies in their sin, having rejected Christ, they're going to a devil's hell. That's just true. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That's why he sent his son. 
That's why we're here today, <laughs> rejoicing about our risen Savior. But oh, God warned that church oh, about, about God's justice. And then we come to chapter 2, verse 3, please. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day will not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. Who is it? The son of perdition. Who is this? Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Who is it? It's the Antichrist. Chapter 2, verse 7. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That's the Holy Ghost. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, and all powers and signs and wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness of them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Oh, strong language. And it's talking about the Antichrist. Brother Fox, is the Antichrist alive right now? I don't know. He could be. If Jesus comes today, uh, let me ask you, could Jesus Christ return today? Oh, yeah, I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Well, it's going to be something for all us Christians. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Christian businessman, gone. Christian soldier, gone. Christian garbage man, gone. When I was a boy, I wanted a big garbage man. Yeah, I want to drive that truck around. You know what I'm saying? I, I like that garbage truck. I, I want a big garbage man. And I'm a garbage man now. At my house, I am the garbage man. <laughs> my wife says, hey, take the garbage out, man. And uh, <laughs> I take the garbage out. <laughs> yeah, Christian garbage man, gone. Gone. Tribulation period's coming at that, that point. I wouldn't want my worst enemy to go through the tribulation period. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. Seven horrendous years. Now, if, if Jesus doesn't come for the next thousand years, then I don't believe the Antichrist is alive right now. I don't know if he's alive or not. I hear people trying to make predictions and they count every six letter in a verse and try to come up with some. Stop that. Stop that. But we do know that Jesus Christ is coming, and he's coming soon. The Bible says it's at the doors. His coming is at the doors, is what it says in the book of Matthew. Yeah, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And so this little flock of believers there in Thessalonica, all they were given all those military-like commands, and they were told about God's justice and God's judgment, and they were told about the Antichrist, and they were told about, about the tribulation period. And then we come to our passage. Let's look at it again. Here's where the lesson is. Oh, that's warm up, and I know what time it is. Don't look at the clock. Verse 13, we're bound to give thanks always to God for you. <laughs> Little church in Thessalonica, we're bound to give thanks for you. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And verse 16, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God. <laughs> 
Even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation. There it is. Hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. How do we have, how do we today, you and I, how do we have access to this everlasting consolation? Number one, it comes by faith. Oh, it's by faith. This little group of believers, so they believed. They put their faith in God. Uh, that's my first observation right here, is uh, this is a mark of a Christian. It's having faith in God. I mean, why are we so happy? Why are we so ebullient, yeah, and positive? It's because our faith is in God, not in ourselves. No, the hallmark of Galilee Baptist Church is we put our faith in God. Amen to that. I've been studying a little bit the lives of uh, John and Charles Wesley. And uh, I read about John Wesley. You know, John Wesley was precise, educated, Learned, theological don. Oh, he had been there to Oxford, and he had all that theological training. And he got this big idea. He got this big idea that he would leave Great Britain, and he would come here to America, and he would convert all the Indians. Yeah. And so he got on a sailing ship over 100 years ago and uh, got, got those sails on those big old sailboats and, um, wasn't quite like being on an airplane. No. Took 40 to 50 days to cross the Atlantic Ocean. That's a long time. Yeah, six, seven weeks long. Can you imagine going for seven weeks across the Atlantic Ocean? Wow. So he did that. He came here to America, and he's he going to convert all the Indians. Yeah. How'd that go? Terrible. Terrible. It flopped. He was a complete... Failure. Zero converts. Failure. He's this young, highly educated man. So dejected, he gets back on the ship to go back to, to England. There he goes. He's on the ship. They get out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and a terrible storm comes. Oh, oh the, the wind was howling. And the little ship was tossed and ravaged. Oh. And everyone, the crew, the skipper, all the passengers, they were all scared to wit's end. They are all having panic attacks. Oh, no! Except one little group on the... There's just, there's just one little group on the, on the ship. It's like they were undisturbed. <laughs> I mean, uh, little John Wesley, he was only about 5'3". He's a little fellow, and he's scared to wits in this, this educated preacher. He's scared to death, and he observes this little group of people. They're, they're not scared at all. He's having panic attacks. He goes to the little group. I'm just going to read to you what he said. Let me find it here. I wrote it down. Here it is. This is what he said to them. This is what he wrote down he said to them. He said, I am not a Christian. I have never been saved. A saved man wouldn't be afraid like I am. A, a Christian man wouldn't cower before this storm. Who is he confessing all this to? A group of Christian missionaries that was on that ship. 
that their faith was so strong, even in a storm, they seemed undisturbed. And here he was, knowing a lot about the Scriptures, but he had never received Christ himself. And God used this man to <laughs> greatly impact a, a continent <laughs> for the Lord. <laughs> but he came here to America, a lost religious man. I'm glad he finally put his faith in God. Amen to that. Rather than all of his training. Oh yeah, why do we have this everlasting consolation? Not because of us being highly educated. No, no, no. It comes because our faith is in God. Read about another man down there in Georgia. <laughs> this man over 100 years ago down there in Georgia. Uh, everybody in the whole village. Everybody in that whole uh, little area of the country down there in Georgia. Everybody in that little sparsely populated place. All of them knew that fellow over at that place. Oh, he's just always praising God. He's a religious nut. He's such a Christian. He's always saying, hallelujah, glory to God. Yeah, they, they kind of made fun of him. This, this Christian who just had his faith completely in God. And then one night, shooting stars in the sky. You know, sometimes those happen. We go through an asteroid belt and Woo! You start seeing all those shooting stars. And all those years ago, those people out in that, that village, they didn't, they didn't know about all that. And they thought, oh no, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. You know who's that, whose house they went to? They went to the Christian's house. He said, hey, wake up, wake up. It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. He came out and said, hallelujah, Lord, I'm ready. <laughs> See, his faith was in God. The rest of the village terrified. Not him. His faith in God. Where does he get all this consolation? Where does he get all of his encouragement? It's from the Lord. Our faith is in God. But then secondly, how do we have this everlasting consolation? Look back at verse 13. We are bound to give thanks. Oh, yeah. We're just spending time in prayer. We're giving thanks always to God for you, brethren. How do you get this everlasting consolation? By spending time with God. Spending time with the Lord. Uh, Paul here, he's, he's making intercession for this church. We're bound to give thanks for you, brethren. And he's talking about the traditions and the teachings and the doctrine. He's praying. And then in, in verse, uh, uh, he says uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, uh, about... Uh, um, and our Lord Jesus Christ and God himself, our Father, who hath loved us, has given us everlasting encouragement. Oh, he's praying. He's praying for this little church, this little group of believers. He's praying. He's spending time with God. God does not want you and I, hey, God doesn't want you and I walking around wringing our hands and worried about everything and discouraged and down in the bulrushes and defeated in life. Uh, wallowing around in misery and unhappy and dismayed and disappointed with every turn of life. God does not want us to be that way. Think about Elijah in the Bible. Elijah. Elijah. He goes over there to Mount Carmel. I've been there to Mount Carmel. Oh, yeah. I've been there. I have preached on Mount Carmel. Wow. There's Mount Carmel. And Elijah's there and he's challenging all those false prophets. And wow, what a victory he has that day. Oh yeah, God gives his preacher Elijah a great big victory that day. But somebody got upset. Who? 
a very grotesque woman. Who's that? Jezebel. She's a very wicked woman. She has forever ruined the name Jezebel. You know what I'm saying? Do not name your daughters Jezebel, okay? Oh, my. Very wicked. Very grotesque. Brother Fox, why would you call her grotesque? After Elijah had preached and, and uh, had a great victory for the Lord that day, uh, Jezebel said, I'll tell you what we ought to do. We ought to just kill that preacher, Elijah. In fact, I think what we ought to do is chop his head off. Now, I don't want my head chopped off. How about you? No. And the Bible says there in Kings chapter 19, it says, Elijah ran. Boy, he started running. Because uh, I'm telling you, that, that, that Queen Jezebel Oh, this, this wicked woman with all the power at her disposal of being queen. Let's just chop that preacher's head off. I'm tired of hearing him preach. Uh, oh, man, there he goes. There he goes. And he takes his servant with him, and he's running. Oh, they're running. He and his servant, they're running. Finally, they, they, they get down there to Beersheba. And uh, uh, Elijah says, uh, Servant, you stay here. I've got to keep running. i got to keep... And he runs on out and... The, to Negev, the desert. He's out there, finally in the desert. He's exhausted. He's been running and running for his life. He's exhausted. And God had one of his angels there. God is so good. <laughs> God is so good. God had one of his angels there. And Elijah, why don't you lay down here in the shade of this juniper tree? Just lay down here and get you a good nap. Elijah, what the Lord wants you to do is just lay down here and get you some sleep. And Elijah lays down. He's exhausted. <laughs> he has run. He's wore completely out. He lays down and he sleeps. Oh, some peaceful sleep finally. He wakes up. The angel's still there. The angel says, let's have something to eat, Elijah. Come on. You need some nourishment. Elijah eats. And the angel from the Lord says, Now, Elijah, you need some more rest. Lay back down in the shade of this juniper tree. Get you some more rest. You're wore out. There are times in your life that you can be completely wore out, and one of the best things you can do is just rest in the Lord. And he's just laying there. He's resting. God is allowing his wore-out servant to get some rest. Oh, and let me just fast forward in this story. Our time is evaporating quickly. Elijah gets over there finally. He's cowering in the, in the cave. Oh, he's scared. Oh, he's scared. And God has uh, the fire come by the, the cave. But the Bible says God wasn't in the fire. Oh, and the, the wind howled. But God wasn't in the wind. Then finally God spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. Elijah, what are you doing here in this cave? Well, Lord, I'm the last one serving you in the whole world. That's not true, Elijah. I've got thousands that are still serving me. You're not the only one. And Elijah begins to spend time with God. 
Elijah gets his courage back. He gets his fortitude back. Elijah got back to ministering for the Lord. How? He spent time with God. Friends, if you're going to have this everlasting consolation, number one, our faith must be in the Lord, not in ourselves. And then secondly, we just absolutely must spend time with God. And let me wrap it up right here. Uh, thirdly, how do, how do we have this everlasting consolation? It comes as a result of our salvation. Look at verse 13. We're bound, look at verse 13, please now. But we're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath, look at this, from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Chosen to salvation. It's pretty amazing to get to be chosen to salvation. Pretty amazing. You know, when I was a boy, we'd play, we'd play with all the boys there in the neighborhood, and we'd, we'd play ball, we'd play different um, games, dodgeball and baseball and all that. We'd play ball, but we'd always pick up teams. And, you know, maybe Herbie over here, he'd get to pick first. He'd say, I'll, I'll take Robbie on my team. And, and then Jimmy over here, he's, he's the other team captain. He said, well, I'll take Mitch on my team. And, and uh, these two fellows, they're, they're choosing who's going to be on their team. And you're over there thinking, oh, I hope they choose me. I hope they choose me. I hope they don't choose me last. Because when you're chosen last, that means they consider you to be the uh, least player out there. You know, the worst player out there. Oh, I hope, I hope they don't choose me last. Oh, I, hope they don't, I, hope, I hope they just choose me. <laughs> you want to get chosen. Well, think about God choosing us for salvation. May I tell you something? I wouldn't have chosen me. I would not have chosen me. I don't deserve to be chosen. I don't deserve salvation. I know I don't. My gross, vile sin, there's nothing good about me. The only thing good about me is Jesus. I'm a dirty, rotten, vile sinner. But hallelujah, God had the church come and find me and tell me about the Lord. And I received Christ as my Savior. I became a new creature in Christ. And now I have access to this everlasting consolation. <laughs> I have people criticize me just like you do. One guy came to me and said, I'm going to tell you something going to hurt you to the bone. I said, I don't think so. He said, yeah, it's going to hurt you. I said, no, it's not going to. If it's some criticism that I need to hear, I'm going to say thank you. But if you're just being mean and nasty and it's untrue, I'm just going to dismiss it and go on with my life. He was greatly deflated when I said that. <laughs> he just wanted to be mean and nasty. Some people just want to be mean and nasty to you. I'm glad we've got access to this everlasting consolation. Nobody wants to experience hatred from others. Nobody wants that. It does happen, though. We suffer betrayal, affliction, injustice, all those kind of things. That's common for all of us. All of us have that. But, oh, not everybody has this everlasting consolation. Just God's saved people have that. Yeah, there's a fellow in the Bible named Barnabas. Yeah, he's the son of consolation. Oh, yeah. 
Everybody stand with me. Everybody stand uh, as we're wrapping this up. Uh, Barnabas in the Bible, he's the son of consolation. He's just Mr. Encouragement. Yeah, yeah, he's always going around encouraging everybody. He goes down there to Antioch with that new church down there in Antioch, and he, he says, whoa, it's a good church, and he encourages them in the Lord. And, and old John Mark, he said, come on, John Mark, let's go on this missionary journey. And I mean, he's just all, listen, Barnabas is always encouraging God's people. That's, that's good. Hey, Barnabas, hey, 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 Barnabas, where, do you, where are you getting all your consolation? Oh, he's getting it straight from God. The Bible says that God is the God of all comfort. <laughs> yes, and we've got access to this, to this everlasting consolation. <laughs> that is, if you're saved, would you bow your heads? Well, praise God. We've had a good meeting, a good Sunday school hour. I hope you know the Lord, do you? Do you have access to this everlasting consolation? Well, you do if you're saved. If you're not saved, receive Christ today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then, I think we ought to be a little more like Barnabas and encourage others. Let's make that one of our goals today, that we're going to be used of God to console others. Oh, Lord, thank you for our Sunday school hour. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.